Sometimes the world just needs a hero to help cut through all the noise. Well, now you have two. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to yet another awesome episode of Your Hero's Noise. I'm one half of this amazing deal. On the other side is the man, the myth, the legend. I'm Steve. Well, thanks, man. You're welcome. Dude, you are. You've been a myth, though. I don't know what's been going on with you. You've been out of the loop, bro, except online. <laughs> and I got nothing for you either. First of all, sorry. Folks, how are you? Dan Ramirez at your service. How y'all doing today? Where have you been, man? I have been in my backyard. Okay. I have been in my garage. I've been doing okay. guy shit around the house, man. It's been fantastic. Are you building the podcast studio? No, <laughs> but I'm getting ready to do it. I'm cleaning things out. <laughs> I'm making arrangements. I, I like your kitchen better. Nah, it's too echoey. Oh, can you tell the difference? Yeah, when big you were, time. Okay. Big time. Because you, people, you don't know. Any, okay, anyone that records music, I'll just tell you. He has the things on his wall that have like the little holes in it. I don't know what you call that, but it naturally, um, like, it's perfect for soundproofing. What are you talking like, about? Oh, in the garage? You know, yeah, it's per like that's what a lot of people are like. Oh, we don't have to do anything to the wall because it just stops out. Pegboard. So you just yeah, there we go. And you just happen to have that. Does it really stop sound? Oh yeah, dude. It like blocks. The only thing better would be like milk cartons or like the legit, the legit soundproofing. But that's perfect. You don't just have like mine is just concrete, and, and so it will kind of bounce around a little. Yours stops. It's there's no like if you go uh it just. There is no red like. <laughs> I'm gonna go in there and try it out now. Not like right now. You totally course, should. But I'm gonna compare do it so. in your living room to in there, and you'll be like, "Oh yeah." It's oh, it's now. a huge difference in there. Like I noticed that both times that we recorded, even though they've only heard one of these, it was very the one with Rebecca and Melissa was very echoey on our part. Oh, yeah, we did not do that. So, um, you know, it's funny because uh, remember last week we were talking, we got into a groove last week. And at the end, I was like, man, I really loved it. And you, normally you don't get responses from what you ask our listeners. And that kind of, like, a lot of times you you won't get, like, immediate responses. I saw some stuff this week, bruh. Yeah, they were liking something we were doing. I mean, I was fairly surprised. I was like, well, look at this. This is an immediate, um, res- I, think, I think they like to hear... Especially since you know things about music I don't and vice versa. Correct. We don't both know the same music. You know what I'm saying? And so you are really, again, while while we were talking about New Wave last, we weren't talking about it exclusively, but while New Wave was happening, I was in a different, I was listening to different music. I listening to different, like you were in New Wave. Like you, that I caught the thing. back end of it. Yes, I did. Oh, oh! I because I was a kid. The... I was like seventh grade when The Cure was really big, uh, when Duran Duran was at their peak. Yeah, right around that time. But yeah, so I caught the back end of it, but I listened to it a lot. I listened to it so much, dude. I used to have posters all over my wall. Oh, my God. And a lot of the music that I listened to. Okay, Steven, I know you've been studying this week. Did you happen yeah. to run across the term New Romantic? Yes, I did. I sure did. Oh, but it was on Wikipedia. You have like, let's see, Duran Duran, Culture mm-hmm. Club, OMD, Spandau Ballet, all those kind of bands. They're a little bit nicer dressed, a little more fancy, 
Or a little rouge on the cheeks. I think that's what the old ladies call it. Not the young ladies, but yes. the old ladies do. They put on rouge. But I had these pictures, dude, all over my wall. And my dad, who was not like a homophobe or anything, I could tell that I, it was weighing heavy on him. Because did you happen to see who Nick Rhodes is yes. or what Nick Rhodes I looks sure like? Did. Lots of Nick Rhodes on my wall at the time. <laughs> I think he was so thinking. You, what, did you know he was the keyboardist or no? He grew up with, uh, oh gosh, who would it be? Adrian Barbeau or something on his wall. I don't even know. Somebody like that. So, you know, he's, yes. he's, he's, he's Nick Rhodes on my wall. Woo. He wasn't a perfect man, but he wasn't a homophobe or anything like that. But he definitely had some questions about me for a while. Oh, well, here's the thing. I'm wondering why Nick Rhodes? Oh, it wasn't just Nick Rhodes. I'm just saying he kind of stood out in all the pictures because they were all good looking cats. You know what I mean? And they, they but they had lots of makeup on. Nick Rhodes tend to be the one of the, the more effeminate ones of the bunch. But it wasn't like I just had Nick Rhodes all over my wall. He just oh, sort of it was stood just out. OK. He really. OK, that's that's totally fair. See, um, people, if you couldn't catch on, we are going to talk about new wave <laughs> yeah. artists. And when we were talking this week, I said. We might as well start with, from what, when I was studying it, there's only one group that kept coming up, and it's Duran Duran. They were a monstrosity then. They were a beast. I mean, there's, there's one part, which, which I will <clears throat> go into. I won't ruin it now, but uh, they, came to, uh, they came to America with a cult following. UK, they were massive. We didn't really know about them. They left America. A certain song came out and got pushed in America. And literally, they said it was Beatlemania all over again, like shutting streets down for this group. That's a new wave group, which is why I was like, oh, and I was like, how did I miss Duran Duran? And they're like, oh, 1982. I was four years old. I, was, I wasn't exactly the yeah, target. Perfectly exactly. explainable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was Don't feel bad. four years old. I, so I didn't really... I was I was still you know I was just out of the the musical loop, and um, these guys were a beast. So we are going to talk today, as much as we can, about the group we call Duran Duran. Duran Duran. Dan, what is your what is your history with Dan, Duran Duran? Well, Steve, I'm going to tell you. Have a seat. Yes. Get yourself yes. a scotch, and I'm going to talk oh, a little bit about Duran Duran. Scotch. Oh, scotch. Get yourself some eggnog. <laughs> I'm gonna wax poetic. So they are one of my all-time favorite bands, and it's because I think oh. I just well, I don't know. You know, let me ask you a question before I go too far into it. <laughs> okay. Do you find that the bands that you really liked when you were, let's say, well, let's just use sixth grade, for example. Do mm. those bands have a special place for you? I guess it just kind of oh, depends on when you totally. got into your into music though, right? They will always have. They're going to always have a special place in my heart, regardless of what other people say. I just, since they were the first whatever, or they represented something that was happening on that important golden age of my life. Right. They, they represent something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I was kind of like awakened during that time. I loved music. I was around music my entire life. But for some reason, my brain tuned to music very much so when I was around in the sixth grade. So I really got into it. The band that happened to do it for me was Duran Duran. I did not know that. Yeah. If I really had to think about it, yeah. Because like in the sixth grade, MTV was huge and I was glued to MTV and you couldn't get away. You couldn't go three minutes without seeing a Duran Duran video. Exactly. MTV was a humongous reason Duran Duran hit totally. America. Totally. Uh, and they we spent the extra dollars too for their videos. Towards the end, they were putting out huge videos that would be like yes. 15 minutes long with you know, a whole scripted part in it and stuff like that. So that was kind of like a big thing back then. They were doing something that was different. They were also one of the innovators of having like big light shows for their stage. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Things like that sort of put them on the map. Plus, they were charismatic, and again, they were good-looking guys. They were like the Fab Four. The women loved them. Let's just say that. Oh, yeah. It was one of those and, screamy type of concerts. And for me, uh, I only knew Reflex. And I only knew Nile Rodgers' uh, remix to the Reflex. Right. Um, that was, it was like, okay, I kind of knew that song. Uh, like, tangentially. Honestly, it wasn't until you gave me, last week you gave me, a, if, uh, Dan gave me a... History lesson. Uh, yes, a playlist of new wave artists. And I was going through them and... I was like, okay, well, let me check out this Duran Duran situation. And because I are oddly enough, I knew a few of the artists more than I actually thought I did. The one that I knew the least was actually um, Duran Duran. I knew Howard Jones. I was like, how though? How did I know Howard Jones and didn't know Duran Duran? I knew a few Howard Jones songs, but so I go into Duran Duran. I was like, um, I was like, that was my introduction. Dan was my introduction to Duran Duran. So I am fresh. All these thoughts today are fresh opinions on these Duran Duran songs that Dan sent me. I'm glad that this is your introduction to it, but it's weird because like, like you said, you had Howard Jones songs that you've heard before. Uh, yes. I don't know. I sent you all kinds of stuff, but I don't know how many NSX, of those songs. I knew, a, I knew like three NSX songs. Uh huh. Yep. Knew them. Police, obviously, it's hard to get around the police. Crowded House, I knew off the jump. Um, what else do you have here? Uh, the Go-Go's, Tears for Fears. I know a ton of tears. But again, it's, a lot of this had to do, like what they explained was, a lot of, uh, a lot of these artists hit in the U.S. Duran Duran didn't for a long time. So maybe I, I was hearing it. Like Tears for Fears, I heard on the radio when I was little. All the time. Duran Duran, I didn't. But Tears of Fear was every shout was everywhere. Like shout was everywhere, dude. See, that's the weird thing to me, because if that was everywhere, Duran Duran should have been there, too. Maybe you just did. Maybe it's just one of those things that didn't resonate with you. I bet you you heard more Duran Duran than you actually thought. It just never really stuck with you. That You know what? That might be it, too. But I was also in L.A. And maybe there I remember hearing Prince. Uh, you know, I heard Prince a lot. Obviously, Michael. Obviously, um, I mean, the big one was Africa. That song came on every three minutes. But let me tell you, here's the weird thing. It took them a while. Remember, their first number one hit was, um, well, I'm not going to ruin it. But they didn't have a number one hit for a while. That's how big the 80s were in America. Everyone, you could be the biggest, huge, massive star in the world. And you still didn't get a number one. Because the 80s music was so big. Like, Walk Like an Egyptian kept um duran duran off number one for a while that's great but that's how competitive the 80s were how many great 80s songs were there the 80s was comprised of multiple one-hit wonders exactly exactly over and over and over again uh to ruin a little something uh springsteen he didn't get a number one hit with dancing in the dark dude he just couldn't get past when doves cry and so the fact that Springsteen couldn't get a number one hit, like the 80s were just a behemoth of monster singles. And so the fact that Duran Duran was able to break through is huge. And that might be the reason why I didn't hear a lot of them, because obviously a station just wants to play a bunch of number one, number three, number two, number four, number five hits over and over and over again. So maybe that's it. Or like you said, maybe it just didn't resonate with me. I was actually thinking back when you were talking and figuring out, like, did I hear a lot of Duran Duran on the radio? And I can't really remember 
because I really do associate it with with uh, MTV rather. That's the thing. That's what they kept saying was the MTV changed around. But also it was a, a situation of, oh, I'm about to ruin a lot of stuff. Uh, it was a situation of they weren't hitting in um, America. So the London, we had a, a subsidiary out here, Capitol Records, from a London massive uh, record company. And they told them, you need to keep on releasing this song until it's a hit. And like Nick Rhodes said, you'd never get that today. If it's not a hit, it's over. They kept releasing the song until people, it got into people's ears. Look at this guy. This guy did do yeah. his homework. We want you to be a hit. And then we, they said, but everything changed when MTV took a video. What song are we talking about? Um, I'll, I'll see. We're going to go through one by one, and then you're going to hear it. I don't want to ruin it for you. All right. I'm just trying to get things it's queued so up fun. as well. It's so fun. Okay. okay. I will tell you the, the, uh, the first song we're going to go over. All right. And also, I'm gonna, um, do we know where Duran Duran got their name? Yes. Okay, tell tell the folks. Will you tell the folks? So there was this bar called Barbarella somewhere in England, and Duran Duran used to play there. I believe it was Birmingham, if I'm not mistaken. But Barbarella actually comes from a movie, a Jane Fonda movie, and in the movie there is a character named Duran Duran, and I believe that's where they got their inspiration for the the name. I think it was all kind of tied together. You know what I mean? Someone yes. was really into Barbarella, and they just took the name Duran Duran. Doctor yes. Durand Durand, actually. Affirmative, affirmative, and. The funny thing is, there's the group members. Name uh, the group members are uh, Simon LeBon, Roger Taylor, Andy Taylor. Um, uh, sound, wait, Simon LeBon, Andy Taylor, Randy Taylor. Nope. I mean Roger Taylor, <laughs> Andy Taylor. There's another Taylor. Yeah, there's Simon LeBon, Nick Rhodes, Andy Taylor, Taylor Rhodes. John Taylor, and Roger Taylor. And none of them are related. Isn't that weird? I okay, okay, dude. I literally had to Google and be like, so how are these guys related? It filled it out for me in Google. And they're like, yeah, they're not. I said, what are the chances, dude? Like, how? That's too many Taylors. Taylor is probably a comp. Maybe there's a bunch of Taylors in Birmingham. And we just don't know about it. <laughs> All the Birmingham but Taylors got together. Maybe that's what it is. And said, who plays bass? It, gee, I mean, think about if I said, hey, I started a group and three of us are Hudson. Wouldn't you be like, that's pretty wild. <laughs> I would assume <laughs> it would be family, yeah. Yes, and <laughs> let alone it, you hit. You happen to hit with a group of three people with the same last name. I'll be like, gee, the, the, the star. That's when you know the stars were freaking aligned. The stars were aligned, dude. It is very odd when you think about it. So the first song we, that I had on the, on the list was Planet Earth. And it was their first single. Let me just cue it up here, buddy. Let me get you. Yes. Give these people a taste of what we're talking about here. This is Planet Earth. I think we played a little bit of this last week. All right, Hello. coming at you. Come on. KDAN, Heroes of Noise show. We've got Duran Duran. Hey, they're the hottest band out there. Check them out. Ladies, get back. Most of them are taken. They're going to be playing the night at the Warfield. Check it out. Here we go. That's a talk-up, Steve. That's a good song. It's a great song, man. I don't want to play the whole thing, of course, but just to give you guys a little taste. For a first single, dude? No, this comes out swinging. I hope I turn some people on to Duran Duran this time, man. I feel feel like we could actually do something and enlighten some people. You know what I mean? Bring light where there was no light about Duran Duran. Well, the interesting thing about this song, from a young band, is modulating into the um, chorus. And then modulating back to the original key afterwards. Oh, you're really diving right now. 
Well, there's not a lead lot of thing people do. Listen to that. That modulation is crazy. Come on, man. Oh, this is going to be a good show. Now I'm starting to warm up a little bit. Booty starting to shake. Now, this is a song where they were just like, look, this was just like our coming out party. This is a situation of let's see how well it does. It didn't, it did well in the UK, went to number 12, but he's like, it did better in Australia. Went to number eight, which is not bad, people. We're in the 80s. That is not a bad thing. And so they got pumped. Now, mind you, looking back, you're like, you got pumped on a number eight being Duran Duran, but they're a brand new group. First single. Who wouldn't? Don't even have an al- they don't even have an album yet. They later put it on Duran Duran. Later they put it on it. But right then they have no album yet. That's a great first effort, dude. I'm impressed. They came out swinging. They came out swinging, especially like I said with the weird chord progression. You're just like, oh, this sounds different. Whereas, and and the thing is, it says a lot about the '80s. The '80s were not just a four bar loop uh, decade. People were writing songs, <laughs> like writing full on songs. It wasn't a thing like that. Like we were saying at the top of the show, New Wave is listed as several different genres, right? So you had punk rock, which it stemmed from. And then you had these bands that were, they were more guitar oriented. You know what I mean? Like Sex Pistols, The Clash, things like that, which more so punk, but they were starting to trot into the New Wave era. And then, like I said, that new romantic thing came along. And that's when you started getting more synth. And you were starting to do the glam thing a lot more. And, and there was a lot of drum machines and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're one of the main, I don't want to say the founders of it, but they Dude. definitely were one of the main innovators of it. Because this was how they set themselves apart. Totally. To- and the thing is, um, I think a lot of this, and it's us. It's really, America, we are very visual. It's, like, uh, for instance, there's a, a great story about how Christopher Cross was humongous, right? He was a great singer and all this stuff. He won a Grammy. Women saw what he looked like, and it kind of, people were like, oh. And they saw, he didn't look like what they thought he would look like in their brain. The uh, U.S. is a very visual culture. Yes. No one had seen Duran Duran yet. That's a big thing. They have not been viewed, whereas, and, you know, U.K. just heard a great song. Australia heard a great song. It was like, hey, Planet Earth, pretty good. Not bad. Number eight is massive, but everyone does have a dream and their dream is breaking in the U.S. Why? Who knows? But they believe breaking in the U.S. is a sign of popularity. You know what I love about this? Mm. I'm going to learn a bunch of shit from you today. <laughs> you just Maybe you, know. you might. I don't know. You no, but might. you do your homework is what I'm saying. So I appreciate it because you're going to teach me things about a band that I've been listening to forever because you really dive into these things. So thank you for doing the homework. No doubt, bro. I got you. Now, the next song I put on after, mind you, I put Planet Earth on spin. I was like, it's a good song, man. And so when I find out it's your first, their first song, I'm like, if my first song is that good, I'm happy. And they said they walked out saying, good song. Next, and now this is not in chronological order, but the next listing song is Girls on Film. There is an argument over whose camera that is. Really? Like, do tell. Group group members say it's like someone's camera, and the producer said it's someone else's camera. Not that it matters. What people just say. It was me camera that was in the beginning of that song. No, it wasn't. It was me camera. Come on. 
I love this song, man. And that was the thing about Duran Duran, too, is that you could be, like, dancing this shit in a club. A different kind of dancing, of course. But it was all, like, club music, man. Here's the thing. They, Simon LeBon and the group, know how to make a catchy freaking chorus, dude. Ooh, I have a question for you. Yes. Maybe you were saving this. What are your thoughts on the bass playing? Oh, listen, on Rio? But there's legendary talks about Rio. Because some people do not believe that he played that bass line on Rio. They said it's too good. John Taylor was a monster, man. He still is. Rio's bass line is insane. But the fact that when he talks about who he listened to, it makes total sense. Later on, he's like, oh, yeah, I was listening to this. I'm like, oh, I see you playing. I'll tell you, though. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't listening to... I'll just tell you, he didn't listen to New Wave. <laughs> he's like, yeah, for bass playing, he was listening to some cats. But um, so Girls on Film, funny thing, this was their, for their this was the band's uh, third single for the group. Uh, the record company decided, hey, we want to release Careless Memories. I haven't even heard Careless Memories. They still play it in concert. It's still a big song. It flopped. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a hit, Nothing, but it was a hit with the fans. It just wasn't like a radio hit. Yes, it didn't just like, oh, my goodness, apparently. And so Duran Duran says, now that you guys have totally screwed over the release, can we release the song that we want to release? And the record company said, fine. And they decide Girls on Film, which goes on to become number five on the UK charts. They're making steps now. They're like, look, we're climbing. People latched on to Duran Duran. They're starting to be like, this group is something. They're not a major thing yet, but they're something. And they start to have like a sound now. Like Simon LeBon has a vocal sound and a way he does lyrics and a way he does choruses. There's a thing they're getting. And that's huge because if you sound like everybody else, you just sound like everybody else. Already we now hear Simon Lamban getting in his bag and the band getting into their bag. They have a very, like, they always have a very, very, very catchy guitar riff. Like this one. There's always a catchy guitar riff, which is humongous. Andy Taylor was an underrated guitar player. Super underrated. Turned into sort of a... He was trouble. He, later on. I mean, because when they said Beatlemania, I immediately said, oh, boy, I know how that Beatlemania is. <laughs> I know how that is, G. Be careful. Because, hey, I, it's not like they grew up together. That's what you got to know, folks. These folks didn't grow up together, all the group members. It was a situation of they, uh, you know, Nick Rhodes and uh, uh, was it Roger or Andy Taylor? I'm sorry, guys, this is way back in my notes, but they got a band together. When you get a band together, it's different. Like, then if you have people who kind of grew up together and then started a band. And that's what I thought when they're like, oh, and then, you know, later on something happens. And I'm, when I look back, I'm like, you know what? That's really easy to happen because if I don't really know you that well, we don't know how success affects you. Like people I grew up with, I know what success is going to do to them. Kind of, at least in the general sense. Someone I meet later on, I'm kind of just like, well, because remember, they don't know each other very, very well. They've been together for some years. You don't really know each other. And then they come onto the scene, boom, and explode. 
Right. And they have women throwing themselves at them like Motley Crue did. Yes. Just in a different type of a setting. So, you know, you have five guys that don't know each other that well, Bingo. still learning about each other. Who's going to watch who? Who's going to be the devil's advocate? Dude. So things got and, bad for a while. And I'm already rubbing my hands when I'm reading this. I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just like, this is going to be so good. Not that I wanted there. I know how it. I Okay. One thing I didn't know. I didn't. I thought they were together for all these years. So the more I got into it, my brain was just like, oh, I can't just stop writing now. That original band? The core Fab Five, I thought they were together this whole time. Got it. Okay. So this song did not initially chart in the U.S., but later on they reissued the album and for some reason exploded. I have a feeling that has a lot to do with MTV. Hell yeah, it does. You know what I'm saying? Because no one liked it in America. All of a sudden, same song, girls on film, they're just like, greatest song in the history I'm like, wait a minute. It's the same. Now, mind you, record companies were doing their job and saying, oh, they didn't get it this time around. Let's do it again. Nowadays, record companies will be like, it's on you. If you don't hit, we'll move on to the next. They believe Duran Duran could be something. That's huge. That's what record companies are supposed to do. Yeah. They did their job where it's just like, we're going to keep on bashing people in the head with Duran Duran. There's a quote that said, Duran Duran has to be a thing. Make it happen. That's what the record company said. It was the perfect time for them to do that, too, because they were good looking guys. Yep. Now they're on television. So much like how people, you know, you didn't have the Internet back then. So you didn't have things that were immediately at your fingertips. We didn't even have that back when it was just MTV. But we had the visualization of that. So it was like a new way of listening to music. Bingo. Bingo. And it was and, and what I'm getting at is it was kind of like a novelty, much like when people first had iPhones. You can't stop even still, you can't stop looking at your damn phone. But it was a new way of doing things. So everyone was into it. It was a part of pop culture. Yes. And everyone and wanted totally. a piece of MTV, which is why they got so big, I think. I don't know if they would have done what they did without the use of MTV. They would not have. Because the song I'm about to tell you that we're about to go into right now, music alone should have been a hit. And it didn't even chart in the US. We're talking about, of course, Hungry Like the Wolf. <laughs> that was Nick Rhodes' girlfriend. You, you're so into it, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like Casey Kasem, man. You know that laugh at the beginning of the Duran Duran song was Nick Rhodes' girlfriend coming in at number three. Dan, that's a hit song. That song to me is a hit song and the U.S. was like not buying it. It didn't even chart. The video comes out and the song immediately goes to number three on the top 100. You know what? Honestly, if I had to think about it, I think that I probably saw Rio, the video, more than any of the other ones. Like they really pushed that song. I remember that. They, and the thing, the weird thing is like I saw the video for Hungry Like, I'm like, that's a good video. But I'm like, oh. When you see those guys, they're a, they're a they're stars, G. These guys are stars. There's no question. These guys are stars. If I remember correctly, the video had them on a boat. Yep. No, no, is that? Yeah, was it Rio? That's the boat. Yep. No, the Hungry Like the Wolf. Hungry Like the Wolf. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of the album. Uh, Hungry Like the Wolf was the one where they're walking through the, the jungle. Yep. Sure. <laughs> they're trying to chase a wild woman. <laughs> yeah, that is strange when you talk about it. She's now. just feral. 
And then you hear her at the end of the song, too. She's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I think they caught her. Now, the interesting thing about Hungry Like the Wolf is, here's the funny part. Here's what makes this band a special freaking band. So, they decide to get together. And they go to the basement studios of EMI's uh, London studio place, right? And they start, Nick Rhodes gets on the sequence, you know, like a drum machine. Right. And he starts messing with the drum machine. As each band member arrives, they start putting in their own stuff. Everything, including the vocals, were recorded in a day. Sometimes it just comes together that way. Gee! Some of the best songs do, right? Bruh, listen. I And now they, they re- the thing is they re-recorded it later, but they said literally we just it just was put together exactly the same way. They said we recorded and put together that song, um, you know, we, we put together that song just the same way. And the producer, uh, the producer that produced the song is Colin Thurston and he did Too Shy. Oh yeah, Kajagoo. Mind you, he produced that song with Nick Rhodes. And Nick Rhodes wrote it. Yeah, I think he did so a lot the, of songwriting. Did he? I mean, he I'm sure really that you studied did. up. He did a lot for people, didn't he, in the 80s? Sure did. Yeah, I But that so. was the hit, and this later on comes back to Duran Duran. He makes a hit for Kajagugu, and Duran Duran's like, hey, yo, we haven't had a number one yet. And since you're so quote-unquote hit-making, already you see it. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, hey, the hit-maker's oh, not I'm making r- hits for the in, band. Bro, I'm rubbing my hands. <laughs> like, oh. but, okay, so Egos he, are starting uh, to grow. G. And so uh, Andy Taylor says of Colin, quote, and the, the producer, he said he was a great organizer and arranger. We gave him uh, all the major ideas in the music on the track, and he decided what was needed. And he literally, they said, quote, he whittled down all the unnecessary stuff. Because when you're in the studio and you have all the studio time in the world, you just add a bunch of stuff. Even adding a bunch of stuff, they finished the song in a day. That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. And this is the greatest quote. John Taylor says, quote, I guess you're always striving to get back to that. It's that combination of confidence and naivete, actually, that allows you to just, I call it surfing the zeitgeist. It's when everything you do is right. You don't have to think. You're so plugged into what's happening. And then as you get older, then you start thinking. And by that point, the press and the media have said so much about you that you've become self-conscious and it becomes more difficult and more self-conscious as you get older. He admits, he's like, if I wouldn't have even thought about press and media, I, we could have done this forever. We weren't even thinking. We just, everything we did turned to gold at that time. Could you imagine that just being under, and it happens still to this day. You have bands totally. like, uh, shit, I don't know. Let me think of one. Uh, like say Five Seconds of Summer, who are nowhere near as big as that band. Or yes. 21 Pilots still. Eh, Bruno yeah. Mars. Yeah, having people just screaming at yeah, but having people just screaming at you all the time. You put that on top of the tension between the bands and then the egos and everything like that. Man, it's like a tinderbox waiting for a spark. That's all it was. It was like right then they were so inoculated because technically they were still in the mode when they record "Hungry Like the Wolf." They're still big in. They're getting big in UK, but they haven't quite seen what US people how crazy they can actually go. They haven't actually seen that level of success yet. And John Taylor says, quote, uh, he doesn't know what the lyrics are. (laughs) He said, I don't know what the lyric means. He says that it probably has something to do with meeting girls or wanting to have sex with someone. I mean, that sounds about right. 
He's like, he still doesn't know to this day. He's like, I don't know what hungry like a wolf means. Just chasing feral women in the jungle. Yeah. He's like, it sounds like this. But the thing is, they're like, it doesn't matter. Anything we wrote was gold. It didn't matter what we wrote. Just whatever we wrote was humongous. That's when you know, because normally when a hit happens and someone's really into their brain, they'll be like, here's what hungry like a wolf real hungry like the wolf really means. What we're saying is, no. He's like, who knows? Who cares? We just knew how to make hit songs. That is humongous. And he says, so he's like, we have a massive cult following at this point in the UK. He said, we go to US, we have a good size cult following, but that cult following they talk about, they said 20 women are going insane. A hundred women are going bat crap crazy. We leave, the MTV video for Hungry Life of Wolf comes out. We come back to America. Whole different story. He said it was night and day. Beetle May, he said they shut down a main street because we were doing a signing at a store. He said we couldn't even get out. That's when we knew, oh no, this just got crazy. All it took was the Hungry Like the Wolf video. Game changer, because they now saw these fellas. They saw them. And they're lookers, ladies and gentlemen. Good enough looking where if I was a producer and they walked in, in my brain, I'd be like, those are some, I'm not going to bring my wife over today. Those are some good looking fellas. Like strong jaw, everything. Like Simon LeBon has it. He Well, at the time, his look, he had it. Like he had the look. And he just happened to be able to, for, first of all, people, this isn't a guy who just went, on, went about life as a looker. He could sing. Like Solomon Laban has a good voice. He's got a great voice. And they gave him more of the masculine role too because he was the front man. The other guys were a little more effeminate in the way that they they were more flamboyant in their wardrobe and whatnot. Simon LeBon was flamboyant as well, but he had a little bit more of a masculine tone for him. So it was kind of perfect. It was selling it, man. Sex sells. Exactly. And the thing, and also today, unless it was a, Logic Pro, which they do sometimes. Like, they'll run a Logic Pro vocal behind a concert, which makes total sense because you can't just have all the sounds going at a concert, so they run Logic. He sounds the same, bro. When he does Girls on Film, he sounds exactly the same. Last time I saw them was, oh, man, I want to say around, like, 2001, maybe? two thousand mm-hmm. No, 2006. I believe they all got back together around 2006. And uh, they still killed it. They still sounded great. It wasn't like, oh, it's nostalgia and I'm sitting here watching a band I used to love, so I'm enjoying it that much more. No, they sounded on point. Their show was on point. Everything was great, man. The thing is, they, they did a thing that Queen did. They made stadium music. Yes. They made a song that the stadium would sing to. They didn't mean to do that. Girls on Film, is a re- that's, a, that's a thing where you put the mic to the crowd for that chorus. It's perfect for that. And then it's like all these songs are so easily resung. The only thing that's hard is Hungry Like the Wolf. And that's because for some reason he changes the words every chorus. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> but every, like the, some of the choruses are different. He changes the words around. And I'm, but the, here's the funny part. All of them know, the, they still know it. They know the song like the back of the hand. It's a great freaking song. But even the U.S. wasn't buying it yet until they saw the video, everything changes. Everything changes. And so from here on, we're talking about Duran Duran. 
And so the ride begins. So the ride begins. And almost like, unfortunately, which happens with a lot of group, this is where the ride is at the top, which sucks because the higher you get, you should be going higher. But the higher they're getting, they're now on the downswing because little do they know things are boiling now because all of them are handling success in a very different manner. Some of them love it. Andy loves it. Like he loves the spotlight and he's not getting enough of it. But we'll talk about that later. Since you're so interested, he has a book from his side of the story, and it's called Wild Boy, My Life in Duran Duran. So you like rock docs and things like that. Oh, you should, yeah, You dude. should totally read this book. It's good. What is it called again? It's called Wild Boy. It's actually like, written by Andy Taylor. Okay. I'm all My all Life in I, Duran Duran. Oh, I would love to hear his side of things. It's pretty good, man. <laughs> I was into it. <laughs> oh, man. I'm th- because, look, you're never going to get as much love as the you know lead singer. He's the guy. And I think he wanted to be the guy. But he had most of the talent. They were a very talented band, but he was like driving that band with the hits. But it's just when you have a guy up front writing these lyrics that just happen to connect with everybody. Like, how does he, who knows? Hungry like the wolf? Who knew Simon LeBone was just going to come up with that phrase and it just blew up? That's a crazy phrase. (laughs) He just happened to know, he knows how to make little catchy Little catchy uh, choruses and and little fun uh, verses. It's just fun for him. And like he, like uh, uh, Nick Rhodes said, he's like everything we touch. It just wasn't hard anymore. And like we could just make a hit at the drop of a dime, which leads us into the amazing. Now this song I couldn't find anything on either. And this is the third single off of Rio called "Save a Prayer." Ooh, that's a good one, man. It's a, and which is why I'm like, why can't I get a lot from this? But they don't really talk about it. They're just like, it was a song. It was just a normal song to them. It was, which is, I think it's a great song. But they're like, this yeah, is probably one of my favorite songs, actually, by them. Really? Yeah, most definitely. Sing it, Simon. Lots of love into this song, Steve, back in the 80s. Oh, yes. This is almost a song they had to write as a break in the, in the album. I think this song is Nick Rhodes' song big time. Like, he's the best in it. He's the standout. All that shit he's doing in the background with the synth. Oh, yeah, dude. In the background. Do, 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 do. That, bass, that bass line is now. You already hear it happening for homie. Great song, dude. Just want to get a great chorus real quick. It's a great song, and the the thing that they really did with the Jupiter the the keyboard they're using is like you can just hold the chord and it does these sequences and just runs through the chords randomly. And I'm like, they knew how to use that really well. What's that called? Uh, arpeggio. Arpeggio. I knew I was going to say it wrong. I was going to say appraisio or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's a appreciator where you just set it. It would just be like, which is, the thing is, though, you can use it tacky. Rhodes uses it very, very sparingly and very well on only certain songs. And he also uses it to make a really, really catchy synth part, which was really important back then. And now it's coming back. 
catchy synth parts are coming back, but like that is a song. It's not just a loop. That is actually a song. Like at the end, they do the they do that huge uh, vamp where they're just doing the save and prayer for me now over and over again until they do the save uh, save for the morning after and go right back into the and it's great. The thing is, it's fantastic, dude. And Simon LeBon just shows I can sing without all this other stuff. He just has a good voice. And um, this was the third single from Rio, which I know you love. But do you know what kept this in the UK from the number one spot randomly? Um, it's from a movie. What year are we talking? If you have it available, it's like 83. Rio was released in 1982. Okay, 82. Was it Call Me by Blondie? No, it's from a movie. It's the song that you remember from a movie. Right when I say it, you're going to be like, oh. Okay. Go for it. Bump, 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 bump. Ah. Eye of the Tiger kept them off. Can't be fighting with Rocky. That's a hard one to get back, Doc. <laughs> I think they could have, but not with this song. This isn't the song that's going to get past uh, Eye of the Tiger. No, you, but you're also dealing with the Rocky phenomenon, too. Rocky you know was what? You're huge. right. No, you're right. Like you're I was right. saying before on another episode, when people saw Rocky movies, they were standing up in the theater, literally standing That's up and like, true. get him, Rocky, and swinging and shit. It's crazy. I remember that. No exaggeration. But in the UK, too? Hey, Rocky was a triumph story, man. You ain't even lying. And the thing is, that says a lot about Eye of the Tiger, that it was kept. Duran Duran was a monster by now. And it kept them off saying, no, 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 no. We want more of the Eye of the Tiger. Easy, Duran Duran. <laughs> Let yeah. me have my moment in the sun. That group kept them out of number. Well, again, like you said, Rocky. They had a- the Eye of the Tiger. Give them a break. That was huge. But it wasn't the song to knock. I think, I do believe Hungry Like the Wolf would have knocked it out of the top spot. You don't believe what the Rocky phenomenon, Hungry Like the Wolf could have done it? I think it was a matter of timing. I think everyone was just so high on Rocky. You don't think there's any song that could have knocked it out? No, I'm sure there was, but you're asking me what happened, and I'm telling you I think that's what happened. Okay. Yeah, I think any. I think uh, Hungry Like the Wolf could have beat it. I think, unless the Rocky phenomenon was bigger than I, re- than I knew, because I was, was young. It was, Steve. Trust me. It was. Was it really? <laughs> I saw it later on in life. And I was just like, yeah, it's probably big. Uh, the, Next week on Heroes of Noise, Rocky. Rocky, yeah, you ain't lying. Because I remember watching Eddie Murphy be like, Rocco. And I was like, were people that pumped on it? Oh, dude. Understatement. <laughs> it's so crazy that you don't know that. That's funny. So um, next we're going to get to the actual title song of their title album called Rio. Down. All right. Can you push pause? What's up? You know how they made that sound? <laughs> how what they did was they threw a bunch of rods on piano strings and played the sound and then they reversed it lsd ladies and gentlemen it'll get you places <laughs> <laughs> that might be what it was legitimate because it's a weird intro now what y'all are about to hear is john taylor acting an absolute un inhibited fool on the bass as in he decides to be like oh by the way i'm a better bass player than 90 percent of y'all guys didn't know i could do this did you that's exactly what he was wanting to do and i know for a fact here's the funny part duran duran didn't know they did know they totally knew 
knew that he was that good. But apparently throughout their history, they downplayed their musicianship. All of the musicians said, we're not that good. We just started playing. So that they shocked people when they played. How crazy is that? They're like the smart kid trying to act dumb, failing That's what purpose. they were doing because they looked good and they're like, oh, we just start playing these instruments. And then when they start playing, people were like, whoa, until people caught on later and was like, wait a minute. They all knew how to play already. <laughs> and so they check this out, y'all. Listen to that bass line. He's killing. He's killing. That's the one thing, man. I always recognize that about him. Bucks, you better be listening, Johnny. Listen to that bass line. What you know about John Taylor, Bucks? Bucks is probably going to send me a video of him playing the exact bass line and be like, next. <laughs> with, that new, <laughs> with that new bass of yours. Oh, yeah, that's right. Congratulations, Tommy. Okay, the chorus is okay to me. It's fine. But, man, when that chorus, well, I mean, the verse, when, when that chorus hits you. Is that Nick Road synth? What a wonderful freaking chorus. And the whole song, John Taylor is destroyed. And this is a known thing. Like when you Googled a uh, Rio baseline, people were like, yeah, this is a freaking hard baseline. What he's doing is really, really difficult. When they asked him about it, they're like, hey, what made you, how did you guys, how did you come up with that baseline? He said, I was listening to Sly and the Family Stones, I Want to Take You Higher. I said, of course you were. <laughs> That's what you were listening to. And you could hear his soul in it. John that Taylor funk. was a very funky, yes, yes, very funky, very soulful musician. He didn't listen to the music that I would think he, he's like, no, for me to play like that, I listened to. But he said they all listened to Sly. He's like, we wanted a new kind of sound that didn't. And I was like, that's why y'all sounded so different. And that's why he chose a later uh, producer that they chose was because their ear were to the, to the street. They knew. They're like, yeah, this, we can't be using these same new wave producers. We need something brand new. Now, also, this song is almost identical, except for the lyrics and the thing and the, um, you know, the vocals. But the chord progression is identical to a, a song that they that's called Stevie's Radio Station. He loved the song so much that they just literally ripped the chord progression. It's identical. Like really? you could sing this song to Stevie's Radio Station. It's almost weird. Like I was like, I'm surprised it didn't get sued. Because when I looked it up, I was like, no, that is definitely real. And the thing is, I could totally understand how you hear a chord progression. You're like, I'll just use that because you hear a chord progression. You start singing something else to it. You're Duran Duran. I'm just going to just do my thing. I'm just going to do my thing to it. And the odd thing is from Stevie's radio station, the guy that sung that song was one of the original members of Duran Duran before he got, before they got Simon LeBond. Uh, what was his name? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was Andy, like Andy Luckett or something like that. Some random name. But I was like, that sure is coincidental that the song that he ended up singing, they literally took it. Which isn't bad, I guess. <laughs> I'll be taking that, mate. I mean, they made it a freaking monstrosity of a hit. And again, uh, this did not become a hit until Hungry Like the Wolf came out. And then it retroactively became a hit. How crazy is that? Hungry Like the Wolf changed everything. A few of their songs became retroactive hits. Yes, and it's just all because people saw them and was like, oh, that's what they look like. 
And then they just started listening to their music, which says a lot about U.S. because U.K. loved them. The U.S. was like, eh, saw Hungry Like the Wolf and be like, let's check out this whole album. And it and it, and it happened. And Rio is a great song to me. I think it's a fantastic song. Um, what the words mean, I think, are pretty much plain as much as possible. But again, they admitted we don't really concentrate that super hard on the meaning behind things. If it means something to you, uh, he still hadn't explained like reflex or anything like that. Simon Le Bond is historically kind of vague on his lyrics. I think a lot of their songs are definitely like poetry set to music. Yeah, that's it. He's just like, these things rhyme and it's fine and it's good. And, but it's the music behind it and the melodies. Way that he, yeah, the melody that he does, he knows how to make an earworm. And just get it stuck in your head. And you'll be like, because when I started listening to these songs, I was like, yeah, I'm not buying it. And then the next day I go to work and be like, let me check this out. And I listen to it again. And I'm like, why did I even listen to that again? Then the next day I'm like, I'm in the mood for some Duran Duran. I'm like, oh, this is how they did it. It's just, you think you didn't like it. And next thing you know, you're like, eh, let me go back to that. Ah, eh, let me go back to that. And all of their songs, well, the ones that you sent me, all of them are like that. Where it's just like, you, it's so easily digestible. There's nothing that's insane about them. Nothing that I'm just like, oh, you can just whistle along to all their songs, especially their choruses. And so Rio is yet another one where, you know, the UK got it, US didn't. But again, like we talked earlier, MTV changed Durand. The MTV was almost like, it was almost like their promo company. MTV was Duran Duran's promo company. That's a good way of putting it. They just played them on spin and people fell in love with this group. They fell in love with their videos. They fell in love with the looks of these guys. They almost made a look for the rest of the people. Like you kind of look like this. This is how new wave looks because that's all you saw was them. And you're not going to walk around looking like boy, George. They were like, you could dress like that at high school. You could dress like Duran Duran in high school and not look totally, like as far as the hair. It would look totally crazy. You go and walk in like, looking like Boy George, people would be like, oh, that's an interesting get up. But you can kind of look like these fellas. There was a lot of it. I remember. See, I had to Google it. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, everyone looked like that. I'm like, this is crazy. It was big, dude. Seriously, it really was. I mean, people walking around the mall, you're like, oh, that is Duran Duran's hair. That's a thing now. Like they saw these guys and that's a thing. I, and again, the reason I'm so surprised is because this is my first introduction. This monstrosity of a group, I'm in, and I'm introduced and I'm diving into this rabbit hole. I'm like, oh my gosh. These guys were meant to have this happen. But again, you almost smell it coming, dude. Because you're like, you don't know. A, a person is not supposed to reach this sort of fame. It's not natural for a group of people to reach this sort of fame. B, when you call it Beatlemania, I'm surprised someone didn't look back and be like, wait a minute, I think I heard this story before. What happens at the end, I wonder? And then say, okay, guys, we need to talk. No one did that to them. They didn't have someone to just pull them aside and be like, look, this is going to get, like if they had like someone like Michael Jack, well, you know, Michael Jackson or someone humongous to say, here's what you're going to run into. This is what this is going to look like. Imagine having Paul McCartney sit with them and be like, hey, all this, yeah, it's cute right now. But let me tell you something. Here's what's going to happen around the corner. Yeah, and listen it, up, kid. Yes, if, but they didn't have that because they didn't. Who in their immediate circle was as big as them? 
They were humongous. They had a lot of yes people around them. Yeah, now let's throw exactly. in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Bingo, bingo. No one could tell them how it's, because look, they were, they said, arguably, Nick Rhodes said, arguably, we're the biggest group on the planet. Arguably. At a certain point, it, we are the biggest group on the planet. Who can say that? And you can't argue it. Their numbers were proving it. Exactly. He said, we were walking around the biggest group on the planet. Come on, G. God, I love this story. <laughs> This story was so freaking good because <laughs> it's any of us could have any of us could have went through that. And the same thing would have happened to us. You don't know. I mean, all of them reacted to this fame. And again, no matter how many times I say it, folks, I keep on saying it. I don't th you have to Google it. Google their promo stops. It's a madhouse. Like it's people screaming, trying to climb over each other. It's insane. I'm pretty sure there's a behind the music about them too that you could probably look up on YouTube. Yeah, check that out. Check that out. Because now, mind you, we at Rio, we are now at Rio. They cannot walk in public anymore. This is a three-year period, people. Two to three years, they go from no one knows who you are. They Nick Rhodes and um anyway, Nick Rhodes gets the idea of Duran Duran in 1978. Five years later, he can't go anywhere publicly. Five years is nothing. He's hanging out with Andy Warhol and such. Gee, think about that. That is crazy. And people are like, well, you know, it's five years. But like, no, no, no. And mind you, I wouldn't even call that Beatlemania because Beatles made albums for us seven years and did the same thing. They didn't really know how to, they didn't have like, we didn't have the internet. So we didn't know how to, they didn't know how to deal with the Beatlemania. They couldn't even... Compare it to anything. Like, if it would have been nice if they could have seen it on TV and be like, okay, uh, or seen it behind the music for the Beatles or a, a documentary on the Beatles and be like, oh, this is how you handle this sort of thing. There is no guidebook on this for them. They go from zero to 60 quicker than how many bands? How many bands do that in three years, Dan? Not that many. Not any? I haven't. None. None, bruh. I threw that out there for conversation. I'm like, wait a second. Really? No. No. Not, none. Not any of them. Because remember... Even though the Beatles only recorded about seven or eight years, which would make them phenomenal that they made that impact, but they were playing together for years. This wasn't the case for Duran Duran. They hit the ground, recorded a song, all of a sudden, we'll start moving. They are behemoth in three years. So now they're sitting in, they're sitting in their popularity, which is totally dope for all of them right at this very second I'm speaking. Everything's going wonderfully. Yeah, and you're getting them on MTV. You're listening to them in the radio. Exactly. You're seeing them in concert. They're being guest VJs on MTV. So now you're not only listening to their music and watching their videos, but you're getting their personality. People exactly. were falling in love with Duran Duran. And they're not, they're not, they're personable. They're not like like Prince. I love Prince. He wasn't a great interview. He he just didn't say anything. No. Which is okay for Prince. These guys were actually, you know. They knew how to be Duran Duran. They had personalities. Totally. They were Duran Duran. So the next, the next song we're going to be talking about uh, is a song that Dan loves. It's a song that the title of this song is not said in the whole song. That's it. I love this damn song so much. I know you do. The song's called The Chauffeur. 
It's the last one, matter of fact, Steve, on the album Rio. And I think it's the best one, in my opinion. Whoa! And Simon Le Bon is at his Simon Le Boniest in this one. Gee. He has a great voice, bro. But this song never really hits a full crescendo, you know what I mean? Such a beautiful song. He's got that doubler on his voice. A little bit of reverb. Nick Rhodes, dude. Nick freaking Rhodes, dude. This song's just creepy. You get the idea. But just, it's so... Here's the thing. Okay, now people, this is coming from a producer's thought process. If you're sitting, when you're coming up with a song, Nick Rhodes doesn't have that thing going on. He's playing chords behind Simon singing. He then goes and creates this thing he's doing now, which is crazy. I mean, Nick Rhodes is a, he's almost doing a duet with Simon LeBond on the piano, on the synthesizer. That's a good way of looking at it. He's doing a duet with him. He's just not singing. It's just, dude, if I could sit with Nick Rhodes and be like, what the hell were you thinking? How did you do that? Because this song would be a hit today. It's all about this right here. So dope. Good. I call this song randomly in my brain to remember some of the stuff. I call it the song of twos. The reason I do that is because this was made two years before Simon LeBond even uh, joined the band. He wrote these lyrics. Um, there are two versions of the songs that have been recorded by the band. Two separate versions. And this is just one of them. And then there are two different music videos made by two different directors for this song. One of them they banned on MTV. Now that I didn't know. Why'd they ban it? It was dirty, Steve. There was a few videos like that. (laughs) But didn't, because remember, I Want Your Sex was banned too. Yeah, but this one had nudity. Oh, that well, UK doesn't care about that stuff. US probably does. Oh, of course. Yeah, there it is. And you, you know... It's interesting because when I saw, when I uh, read about what this song is about, I re-listened to it over and over again. I'm like, oh, I could see that. Where it's just like a first-person view of a chauffeur chauffeur on a hot day with a beautiful woman in the back of his car. I was like, yeah, I can see that. (laughs) I can totally see that. I think it's a great song. It's one of those songs that annoy me because if I was looking for the song back in the day, remember, we didn't have Google. We couldn't just search the lyrics. It's like Careless Whisper. If I was looking for the song, I would be like, is it Sing Blue Silver? I would never say, let me look for the single chauffeur. The chauffeur. Why would I look for that? Right. I would look for, I never want to dance again for Careless Whisper. And so I'm just like, I hate, I love the song. Hate when people do that thing where they're going to name it something that they never say. At least George Michael says Careless Whisper in the song. He never says the chauffeur in the song. And the funny thing about this song is, on the night that he auditioned for Duran Duran, he had a notebook, and in that notebook was this song. I'm like, gee, what are the chances? This was just meant to happen. 
Duran Duran was meant to happen. The universe was like they said they were they were surfing the zeitgeist. It was just happening, riding the wave. That's you remember, G. Look, they took myself. Um, <laughs> and so I this song was a surprise to me because the first time I listened to it, immediately I liked it, and I was like, "Why?" I'm like, "Well, obviously, because the piano." It was a thing he did, having a duet with somebody, not overpowering that somebody. And actually, everything that he did on the keyboard accentuated what Simon LeBond was doing on the vocals. He didn't go, some people have the, the, oh, I'll play the melody along with you on the piano. And it's just like, no, that doesn't work. He didn't. He played a completely separate melody that perfectly counterpointed what Simon LeBond was doing. That is a level, I guarantee Nick Rose listens to it and smiles sometimes. He's like, people don't know how dope I did that, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee we're just like, people don't understand how dope that backing track is. Because that backing track is like that. That is a dope backing track, dude. And so, yeah, I, from Jump, I like this song. I And it's not the side, kind of song that I would like. It's because they're so good at what they're doing that you have no choice but to give it props. Yeah, technically, you should be all over this band. This is all you. You know what it, I mean? It turns out it's it is. It's got Steve written all over it. Oh, for sure. And the thing is, also, they're in now, they're in my repertoire of uh, if I was talking to another songwriter who they should listen to, I'd be like, for lyrics and catchy melodies, these are one of the people you need to listen to because it, they were making songs. Remember how he was explaining, Nick Rose was like, hey, we weren't thinking too hard. Once you start getting famous and press and media, then you start thinking too hard and then rethinking yourself. And now you have something to beat, which is you. You're beating yourself now. I am now trying to beat my last number two song. Constantly like, trying to outdo yourself. Always. He said, before that, we'd walk into the thing, do Hungry Like the Wolf, and just be like, whatever. Toss it out. Let's go. And it was a hit. The goal is to try to keep that going. And now, I mean, kids can easily do that because you're on SoundCloud, and you don't have anything to match yourself up with until someone picks you out of SoundCloud and you're a star. All of a sudden, you never sound like that SoundCloud rapper. Like, um, Eminem's never going to sound like Marshall Mathers anymore. He's never going to sound like what he used to sound like. Ice Cube's never going to sound as hungry as on Predator. Because you now have so many eyes and things on you that you you don't really have that same lackadaisical, you know, Eminem coming out when I was just a little baby boy. Money used to tell. He doesn't do that anymore because it's just like, oh, I have something to beat now. I got to get Rihanna on the track. You know what I'm saying? And so we're listening to Duran Duran right now in their bag. At their hungriest. At their absolute. And the thing is, they're not even trying. They're just having fun, doing what they love to do, and putting out albums. We now are about to get into the situation of, oh, who we're Duran Duran, but I kind of want to do this, and I kind of want to do that, and... The only person that kind of has a singular vision is Simon Le Bond and Nick Rhodes. They're the ones that are just like, hey, let's just have fun. And it takes more than that. <laughs> well, I think yeah. there was also a lot of creative differences going on with Andy oh, Taylor sure. versus the rest of the band. Because I he, think he wanted to rock it out a little bit more. I'm not sure he was completely down with staying in that synth sound. I'm pretty oh, sure no. that he wanted to do a more of a rocky thing with them. For sure. And he also wanted to be out front a little more. Which you can't, you can, you can do the queen thing, but even though queen 
had the one of the best guitarists of all time, he still understood. He admits, I knew who was the man. He knew Freddie Mercury was it. I don't think Andy Taylor knew that. From what well, like I, I said, I think he did a lot of the songwriting. As far as like, uh, maybe not necessarily all of the songwriting, but he did put in a lot of those hooks. Totally. And he was, he was a big part of that era of Duran Duran. And also, uh, John Taylor also wanted to do harder music too. And they ended up getting that a little bit later on. And the thing is, as much as I love all of them, they all added their thing. Without that voice, yeah, you don't everything have it. Cha- you don't, he had such a singular, like at this point now, if you showed me five different singers, I'd be able to point out Simon LeBond, no problem. Because he has, not only does he have a, a tone, but there's a way he pronounces things. That is not like anybody else that pronounces things. He pronounces words differently. And I would, and the thing is, I've never heard them sing. Yeah. Maybe one of them could outsing Simon LeBond, but they couldn't sing like Simon LeBond. Like if I knew I could outsing him, I would be frustrated. Because now I'm just the keyboarder, or if I'm just the bass player, or I'm just the, the guitar player. But out singing someone doesn't mean that you you sing like them. Like there's a difference. Not you know, like a lot of people can get out there and be like, I could out sing Sly Stone. Yeah, but can you do what Sly Stone does? No, you can't do what he does. I can out sing James Brown. First of all, you probably can't. Secondly, but can you do what James Brown does? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think there's certain bands that actually can get away with replacing their singers. Somehow Van Halen did it. It's debatable. Some people just hate the Sammy Hagar phase, you know, and it's uh, it's all David Lee Roth and it's also the opposite too. But if you take Simon LeBon out of Duran Duran, you, you don't do have, have Duran, Duran Duran anymore. There's no, no one that you can plug in that's going to make it sound the same way. And I don't even think they could do the thing that, what was that group that went on that worldwide search and someone sounds just like homie? Journey. You can't even do that. You can't even do that because it is such a singular voice. I don't think and you can presence. do that. And presence. And present. Because when you see him live, what he the, here's the fun part. Simon LeBond to understand what he can and can't do. He can just walk from one side of the stage to another while singing because the star of the show is his, his voice. Oh my. When he opens his mouth, and that voice comes out, the crowd is like, oh my God, that's the voice I've listened to through my whole life. It's just like James Taylor. When he starts singing, you're like, oh, that's why I'm here. Because that's the voice that's been, Stevie, that's the voice that's been in my brain for all these years. He has one of those. And You're I, totally right. He, I, he didn't have to do a lot either. He just, like you said, walk back and back forth, and forth. Maybe run a little bit, yep. do a spin, and, <laughs> something. But that was it. And it was kind of just right. looks at the people. The star of the show was his voice. Yes, because it's it's kind of weird how much he sounds the same now. It's almost strange. It's he like sounds he, great. Still, he sounds amazing, and it's like he put the 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 song. He put his voice in a bottle, and just opened it up in two thousand five again. Where it's just like, oh, yeah, I can still do this. Just like in 2001, 93, 90, I could still do this thing. Like, no problem. Very few people can do that. George Michael, you know, he comes back into his uh, his tour, you know, in the 2000s and sounds exactly the same. It's That's not a normal thing. But I think a lot of it has to do with the artists that aren't singing above their range, like Harry Connick Jr. He doesn't sing above the range, so he's never going to wear out his voice. Stevie sings very high. His voice is going to give out. Elton John had very high songs. 
he what what you don't know at 20 is that your voice is not going to sound the same at 70. It's just not. James Taylor wrote low songs and so he can sing the songs very low and his voice just stays. Simon LeBond has songs that were in his range. He didn't try to push himself. So now he can sing those songs no problem. For me, it's high. For him, it's like, oh, this was my normal everyday range. I didn't try to do something silly. And so he sounds amazing now. He's one of the few that can actually do that. And all Plan ahead, guys. Always plan ahead. Yes. And also, look, what we're about to get into is when you realize that they're still traveling and, well, that they were until a few years ago, some years ago, they were still touring. When you hear the story, the fact that they are touring now is insane. Because technically, what happens should have been game, set, match. Because that's what happens. When you talk Beatlemania, we know the end of the story. And it wasn't their end of the story. They somehow broke the mold. And it was because one of them, not to ruin the story, they understood, I'll be the bigger man and call around and ask, say, hey, guys, why don't we do this again? Oh, what a good story this is. Anyway, <laughs> I, I just, I love the fact that it just, it wasn't managers going to them. It was Simon and Nick picking up the phone and being like, we miss you. God, oh, what a great story this is. I did not expect this from you, so I, dude, I'm kind of winging it. As a as a music nerd, dude, I am so... I should have known. It's unfortunate. I think it's annoying to some people, though, where it's just like, okay, we get it, G. We can go on to the next song. I'm hoping people aren't annoyed by this one where you're like, okay, get to the next song. Easy, Casey Kasem. Yeah, let's go. Now, this next song, this is the one that at first I did not like. I will admit this. I did not like this song, and it's a song called Is There Something I Should Know? Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. You didn't like this song? No. Please, please tell me now. I think this was another one of those songs please, for me that actually me really put them on my map. So I've always liked this one. Plus, again, MTV, dude. There it is. Good shit. So you're saying that you didn't like the song, but you turned around? I did. You turn it down here. Please, Steve, tell the story. What happened was I, I listened to the song. Here it is right here. You were saying? It is such an earworm. You can't help but start... And that thing, that the day, yay, it is a, it's a shadow of things to come. That thing is a shadow of, it's like a, a forerunner of what we're going to do later. So anyway, the more I listened to this song, the more I understood, oh, this is a good little poppy fun song. It's totally fun. And it's about a very dark subject. <laughs> This is a high song to sing, dude. Yeah, his register's a little dude, bit higher. Dude, that is high, bro. So, this song grew on me, and I was like, this is a perfectly fine song. Now, the story behind the song is pretty funny. This is where we get into the, hey, I just produced Too Shy, number one hit for Kajagoogoo. 
And everybody's like, well, 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 well. We, mind you, they still have not had a number one U.S. single yet. That's what the 80s are doing, bro. (laughs) They are keeping the biggest band in the world off the number one spot, Dan. Was it Rocky again? No, they just, they're just keeping them away. Like they get close, but it's such a massive thing. Like the 80s had so many hit singles that they couldn't crack the top, uh, the, the number one spot. And they were like, Nick, you just wrote a number one hit for the US. Why can't you do that for us? Which is a fair question. I would, if I was drinking coffee with my bandmate and he just made too shy, I'd be like, huh. Why did we get that? Thank you. An obvious question. And they weren't douches about it. They were just like, look, dude, it would be nice to have a number one. Uh, we've we've reached all the our pinnacles, but we still can't crack the number one spot in the US. It would be nice to have that. And so he's like, okay, look, how about I hook you up with a number one? Oh, Nick Rhodes is a beast. What y'all talking about? He's like, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't I go ahead and make you a number one hit? And he's like, okay. Now, there was an argument, a bit of a debate. And Simon, obviously, and um, other, other members of the group are like, do we want to go? You know how the Beatles did like Yellow Submarine, Magic Mystery Tour, Magical Mystery Started getting a little experimental. Yes, he's like, I kind of want to do experimental. And other people are like, but we also want a number one hit. And so they debated. This is a, they don't have much about this on Wikipedia, but I'm like, no, 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 that's a story. Because they come out on the success side. Oh, that's a big decision. Instead of going Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper, they decide, let's do a number one hit. And this is the song that comes from it. And this is where they decide to go, period. They said, we're not going to do experimental. That's interesting. I would have liked to hear what Duran Duran sounds like experimenting. But they're like, we want a number one hit instead. This was the number one U.S. single that they got. Finally, this song was the number one hit. And that was because Nick Rhodes said, okay, fine. I'll hook you up. And gee, do you know how dope you have to be to say, I'll write you a number one hit? And my question would then be, after everything was said and done, as we were driving to hotels, I'll be like, um, uh, gee. So why did you do that in the first place? Thank you. Isn't that a good question? And they never did it. They just were like, okay, thank you. And Nick, can I ask you a question real quick? (laughs) Come here for a second, man. <laughs> hey, like, why are we in this dark hallway? Come, let me, let me holler at you real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of part one of our Duran Duran story. We got to end it kind of early today because hard workers were hard working. Can't hate on that. <laughs> Cannot hate on that. People were doing their jobs correctly and it just so happened to coincide with us. That is it. It's perfectly fine that they were doing that. Um... So I hope you guys. What that means to you guys is that my gardeners were going ape shit in the backyard, and it was so loud that I couldn't record. I literally could not record. So we lost some time there. I'm sorry about that, but we are coming back. Yes, since we have some time. The fun part about this is why I'm so excited about this is a new wave is is a new thing for me. Not some of the artists, but the actual term and the the the, the umbrella under which they all sit. And so looking and seeing the police. Under there, uh, the Go-Go's. My goal is, I don't know if we're going to do this. We hope. I hope we do. Well, we're we're going to do the Ladies of New Wave. And when I look at the Ladies of New Wave, dear Lord, man. 
it's almost like us doing, uh, like say we're like, okay, we're going to do an episode on Motown. And then you look at what Motown consists of and you're like, oh my God. All of them interesting artists, all of them influential. All of the new wave artists, I think this move is influential today. Like there are certain things I hear now that came from new wave. There are certain things I see now that totally came from new wave. It all comes back around again. It always does. But I will even say it's stronger. I think that they haven't found something better than that. So they keep going to that well. They just haven't found anything better than that. And I don't, it's hard because New Wave was in its bag, dude. These artists were in their bag, dude. The police were in their bag. The Go-Go's were in their bag. You know what I'm saying? Howard Jones is, it was, and this weird thing is, that's another artist that was fantastic. It's just when you have a behemoth behind you, it's hard to get your face above water, dude. It's just like the Silver's, trying to be popular, a wonderfully amazing group, but the Jackson 5 existed. Same with the Osmonds. Great, talented kids, but the Jackson 5 existed. A lot of these bands, I'm realizing now, Duran Duran existed. If Duran Duran isn't a thing, we see a brand new group of people. I created a monster. (laughs) (laughs) It's alive. (laughs) Gee, The more, and the thing is, here's a problem. I was up till five this morning. I started working, like like, tapering off everything that I wanted to say um, at about yesterday at about, you know, like four, three, four in the morning. But then I got home last night at one or two o'clock and I was like, I never looked at this place. And I go to this place, I'm like, like I opened a treasure trove and light shone on my eyes. I was like, there's more I want to say. <laughs> and so it's it's a fun thing knowing that all these groups, if they weren't so influential, I wouldn't even talk about them. I just think like the more I listen to these people, the more I'm like, that is literally what such and such group is doing now. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. Okay, tell me this. What's that group? Oh, what's that group's name? Oh, they broke up. I forgot. It's a boy band. But a lot of these boy bands from the UK, I don't think they exist without Duran Duran. You're talking about uh, One Direction? Yes. They do not exist without Duran Duran. They don't. They almost set, like, like they were put together. And you even see their hair. Oh, gee, the more I talk about it. Gee, <laughs> these guys, they set a, they set a standard. Like they're doing, and they're not even as talented, G. Duran Duran was a group of talented guys. These guys aren't talented. And they just, they showed that, oh, if you look this way and do this thing, you can get popular. And they did this thing. Imagine the group that actually started this thing. That's crazy. That's crazy, G. I do say that. Wow. Sean was totally right. <laughs> All of these things that people say, you say. Trust me, you say. I totally say. And so, like, I'm excited for that. Are there, okay, out of the new wave people other than Duran Duran, is there anyone you're excited to talk about? I sent you so many people, I have to think about that for a second. Uh, let's see. I'll be honest with you. Tears for Fears, I don't know how much interest I'm going to take in that one, okay. but we can talk about it for sure. It's not so much the music 
but the story of the fucking Go-Go's, dude. That's a good story right there. You like those kind of stories? They're great. So I'm kind of excited to talk about the Go-Go's. What about the police? Um, I think that's going to be a musician's conversation. I think it's going to be a drama conversation. I don't think they started off great from Jump. I'll be honest with you. I love their music. I know a ton of it. I don't really know that much about the police, so I'll have to do some homework on it. Is, now, is Wham! New Wave? I think that they would probably be on the outskirts of New Wave, but I think that they definitely came in at a time where it was um, still pretty popular. Hey, that song, uh, you know a song I ended up really like putting on repeat, repeat too? What's that? The Warrior. Oh, it's the jam. Gee, that Scandal song is fantastic, great. man. I like Goodbye to You, the one we played last week. Yes. That's kind of my favorite song from them. But no, Patti Smythe was a great vocalist. Gee, I didn't even know what they were saying. I didn't know what they were saying until I looked at the lyrics. I was like, oh, bang, bang. That's what she was saying. I'm going at the walls of heartache. Like beating yeah, you're them shooting up. at the walls of heartache. That's dope. <laughs> <laughs> I always was like, then on the boat and boat. I was like, I don't know what he's saying. And then I read it. I was like, look at this awesome lyric right here. That's a really funny thing when people start making up their own lyrics. Oh, Gail sure. is famous for that. Oh, she dude. says shit that makes no sense. But she's like, I've been saying it my whole life. Gee, same with me. My mom used to get, she used to get so mad at me. She's like, that's not what they're saying. That's not what they're saying. I'm just like, yeah. But Stop I, it, Steven. <laughs> she's like, that's not. But I, I'd sing it so well. She's like, you're singing it well, but it's just not what they're saying. It's not, doesn't mean the lyrics you're saying don't even make sense. You're like, oh, you're already right. That doesn't make any sense. But I love, I love these, like, certain lyricists are just like, again, going back to Duran Duran, I think that it's just, it, they were able, when they were in their bag, like the homeboy said, he's like, we could have strung any words together <laughs> and made a hit. Oh. We just shit out music. We he, didn't care. I, I think we can get, I think people could get there again if they just stop worrying about what other people thought of them. And that's, uh, I think that's, there's a lot of undertones of why I love this story so much. There's a lot of undertones of, uh, just like this, you know, like Toto. People told Toto, you're not going to be a hit machine. You can't be good because you're a bunch of amazing musicians and amazing musicians does not a hit maker make. And they said, really? Just because we're good musicians, we can't make hits. And they said, no, you can't. And they made um, Africa. They were just session Rosanna. musicians. Rosanna. They were just session musicians. Hold the line. Exactly. They made some damn good songs. They wrote Human Nature. Like they were, and they were the session musicians on Thriller. But they're like, well, yeah, that's what you do. And they're like, is it now? It's stuff like that, where it's just like, you can be good and be good. You can do both of those things at the same time. One doesn't take from the other. Simon LeBon was a great singer and he wrote good lyrics. You know, Nick Rhodes knew how to arrange things. They technically didn't call him a producer, but in ways he did. You know what I'm saying? Andy was great on that guitar. Like the the producer almost just had a great job with them because they all kind of knew their thing. They all knew exactly. That's another thing they said in the article. They all knew exactly what lane they were in. No one tried to cross over. When that started happening is when the problems occurred. When people start crossing over into other lanes. So when you start getting to that artistic differences. Bingo. And Simon never tried to be like, let me play piano. He knew, oh, that's not my thing. But Andy was like, I mean, I hate putting it on him, but he wanted the spotlight. That was a thing. Um, and for Roger, it was just too much. He's like, turns out superstardom is terrible in his brain. It was terrible. There's always the quiet one in the band. He was the quiet one. Yes. And he's like, it would be nice to be able to go to the liquor store real quick. 
go from my hotel to the liquor store and then back. I'm just trying to hit a target to get some socks. That's it. And I didn't realize, oh, he can't do that. He can't go to the store. He can't do anything. Simon didn't didn't bother him too much. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, yeah, this is what we wanted. All of this is what we wanted. And then Andy was like, uh, I want that and then some. And Roger was like, I just want to go to McDonald's, Jay. And I never thought about how much of a pain it could be if you can't go anywhere without being noticed. Like if you're at the gym and someone's looking at you and the first look they give you, you start thinking, oh no, did they make me? You know it. You know it. You just can't it. even be standing on a street corner for a second because you're going to start attracting attention. Exactly. One person comes up, two people come up, three people Bingo. come up. Bingo. And all of a sudden, it's not a little a bunch of people kind of coming around you you're shutting Times square down because one of duran duran's here dude they actually did that they shut down Times square because they did a record signing that happened right after hungry like the wolf came out they didn't know it was going to be like that that Times square that shut down and well they haven't seen it since beatlemania bingo and so they're like oh and again I can see how each one of them would want it. Andy probably loved it. However, if I have 20 people and they're following me and I look over and Simon has 400, you're like, wait a minute. The ego kicks in again. It has to, right? Where everyone's everyone's clamoring over to get an autograph and you're like, here, okay, fine. And they're like, no, 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 Simon's. You're like, wait a minute. What? This song wouldn't... It's such an interesting, again, that's why I love this story is because it's such an, uh, an interesting dissection of the human psyche of what happened in Duran Duran. And I love it. And I can't wait. We're going to rec- be recording. And then it gives us both time to brush up on our Duran Duran. Now, I have a lot to catch up on now. I got a lot to catch up on. I have a lot to write up. Apparently, I do too. No, not at all. I like, again, this is me brand new into this. A lot of these, I'm sure a lot of folks are like, yeah, we already knew that. But this is me brand new into Duran Duran. So uh, bear with me as I'm excited over stuff everybody knew already. There's something that I really enjoy about this show. It is that there are times where I'll say something. I'm not saying that I, well, you know what? I am going to say it. I was right on this one. But there are times when I'm trying to sell you something. Yes. And just depending on the Steve mood that I get, Mm -hmm. it's either going to sink right in or it's going to bounce right off. Totally. And I know for a fact I've tried to turn you on to Duran Duran before. You have. You have. And that's great, though. It's great because it's funny because it's like as soon as you lock onto it and realize that I'm kind of speaking the truth about it, or at least we share a similar opinion, you just go off. And I really appreciate that. So I'm glad I got to turn you on. A oh, around, dude, dude. You to- like as in no lie. If they were doing a show, it wouldn't be a I'm n- it's going to be a conversation. I'm like, do I want to go? Hmm. I might go check out Darren Durant. And the only thing that would stop me is. People a little older than me screaming at the top of the... That's the only thing. I'd be like... Oh, it's going to happen. Exactly. I'm like, ah, oh, do I want to do There's this? There's no way around that. People, I adore you guys. You know, you know what? I would say that for your adoration, I am hungry like the wolf. That's a hot pool, buddy. Yeah, I try. And so I'm going to get out of here and your chauffeur for the rest of the show will be Dan. <laughs> Peace That's out. two hot pools right there. <laughs> I'm out. Always leaving me with something to do. A man gives me two hot pools I got to compete with right there. I'm not going to compete. That's Steve Hudson right there. The guy's on fire today. He just learned about Duran Duran. I've known about 
I've known about him for a while, though, and it's just weird to hear like all this shit that I didn't know. There's a lot that I did. So, like you're telling me things, man, and I I go, oh yeah, I remember that. But it's it's just so weird that everything's so fresh in your head right now, and these stories have been around for so long, and this music's been around for so long. But good on you, dude. I'm glad that you're a part of the team now. Anyway, guys. We'll be back next week. We have part two of the Duran Duran saga. And then who knows what we're going to get into. We'll see. We'll play it by ear. We are the Heroes of Noise, and that's kind of what we do. My name is Dan Ramirez. Thank you for listening to episode 63, the Duran Duran special. People, be good to yourselves. Be good to the people around you. It's very important, all right? Other than that, I'm out. Peace. Peace.